How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about. Basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And it's my pleasure to welcome on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, uh, Peter Hyams, Formula One historian. And, of course, he has authored four Awesome books, and I guess we can walk them through it. Uh, Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here. So let's start. Uh, I guess we can start chronologically. <laughs> let's go. Uh, the, the first book I'm looking at here is Formula One Car by Car, 1950 through 59. And, of course, that is such an interesting time in Formula One. You got the kickoff of the World Championship in 1950, and, of course, uh, dominated by... Uh, Ferrari and Maserati early on, and then you had the onslaught of the Mercedes team, and then uh, to transitioning later to the rear engine cars by John Cooper. Can you walk us uh, through that, please? Uh, it, it was a fascinating era. This book's um, due out in the States, I think, later this year, but um, basically the interesting thing is to see the change of the color of, of motor racing, Grand Prix racing at that time, because the cars all raced in national colours. So it was the red of Italy to begin with, with Alfa Romeo, uh, Ferrari, Maserati. Um, and as you said, Mercedes-Benz came in in 1954 and for two seasons absolutely steamrolled uh, Formula One racing. So the colour turned silver. There was a period then when you had the red of Italy back again um, with Ferrari um through when they took over the Lancia uh, Grand Prix program, um, and then Maserati, and then by the end of the by the end of the decade, um, the British had arrived with British Racing Green. So you had Van Wall winning the constructors' title in '58, and by the end of the year, the rear engine revolution and Cooper uh, winning it. Obviously, Cooper also. Um, put their toe in the water at Indianapolis in, I think, 1960, I think, with a rear-engine car. So, you know, it, it was just a fascinating era for technology and for drivers. Yeah, and then the the series kicks off in, with the Formula One car-by-car car 1960-69, which uh, many of us consider the, the one of the highlights of Formula One, uh, romanticized by movies like Grand Prix, but also it was quite a dangerous era era, uh, era too. But he had uh, cars of Ferrari, he had BRM, uh, and even some of the privateer cars. Uh, uh, race teams like Rob Walker racing and uh, just a fascinating uh, period uh, that that was too. Well, my, my personal favorite is Lotus. I, I first watched a race in 1973 and got, you know, intoxicated, intoxicated by the sport watching Ronnie Peterson. So, um, you know, Lotus 
came to the fore in the in the 60s. Um, and you're right, it was a dangerous era, um, without a doubt, but it was an innovative era and a, 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 a time of change. And um, and yes, there were you could still win as a privateer, you know, which um, Rob Walker proved. And, and obviously, we recently, uh, I, I come from England, so, you know, we're feeling the loss of Sir Sterling. I, I know everyone is. Um, but, you know, he won against the Ferraris in a Lotus that really shouldn't have been allowed to in 61. Um, uh, won races in Germany and, and Monaco. Um, obviously, never won the championship. But um, it was a fascinating era and um, an era of innovation and, um, and excitement. Yeah, then and then you the the next one of course is Formula One car by car, nineteen seventy through seventy nine, and of course Jackie Stewart who who won Formula One championships in sixty nine, seventy one, and seventy three was probably at the top of his game. He had Tyrrell, which was a, a you know a small team really. I mean, if you ever see the facilities they had back in those days, it's amazing what they could do. Uh, with with that team, and then also you still had Ferrari though. McLaren was coming into its own at that time. Uh, the aforementioned Lotus with the beautiful Lotus 72, one of the most gorgeous cars uh, ever made. And then you talk about later in that uh, decade, the Lotus, uh, you know, the the ground effect Lotuses of uh, that Mario Andretti drove to a world championship in 1978. Just a fascinating period, also. I yeah. I, I grew up in that, as I said, in that era. So for me, it's really personal. You know, I had the toys, of, you know, all of that sort of stuff. I was lucky uh, to actually go to Tyrrell um, when I first started working for Autosport magazine back in 80s, something or other, late 80s. And you're right, you know, if you go to there and you go to somewhere like McLaren now, you just can't believe that the same thing, you know, that they were a Formula One team. Uh, and yet they were because they had the best driver in Jackie Stewart and they had a great designer in Derek Gardner and they had a, you know, Ken Tyrrell was a workaholic team owner. Um, they punched above their weight and, um, you know, were impressive. And that that decade also had, you know, you talked about Grand Prix as one of the great motor racing movies. Obviously, 1976 is immortalized in Rush. Uh, you had the rivalry, Nicky Lauda and James Hunt, although they were great friends. Um, and, and, you know, Mario Andretti winning the world championship for Lotus, uh, and then the, the last Ferrari world championship for 21 years in Jody Schechter at the end of the decade. So, um, a lot going on. And as you said, it was chassis versus engine, you know, Ferrari traditionally believed you build a, a quick engine, a powerful engine, and you'll win the world championship and, um, the ground effect. Lotus of 77 in the Lotus, what was the Lotus 78? And then when they won the championship, when they perfected it in the 79, the next year, you know, blew that out of the water because you could take a four DFA, DFV engine and win the world championship against a V12 Ferrari, uh, flat 12 Ferrari because you had a better chassis. And um, you go around the corners quicker, you're on the straight quicker, and you will win. You know, if you go on YouTube, a lot of these, uh, some of the um, World Feed and BBC broadcasts are coming uh, are coming up on YouTube. And I just saw the 1979 Monaco race, and you mentioned Jody Schechter. And to see Jody Schechter 
hustle that Ferrari in the first few laps of that race is, is just amazing. I mean, it's to see, you know, the, we're, we're so used to the cars where everything nowadays is so exact and it's so important to, to hit your, the, you know, the spots and your apexes and everything where at that time in 79, you could still manhandle a car around a, a circuit like Monaco. And it's just uh, so neat to see that and, and to see the cars, how much they moved around. Is that something maybe fans may be missing a bit uh, today? It, it's funny because um, I, I used to work for a photo agency, um, now known as Motorsport Images. Um, and uh, the chief photographer at the time, um, uh, back in the 60s, this is, uh, I wasn't working in the 60s, sorry, he was the chief photographer in the 60s, and he once told me a story about um, a sequence of photographs he, he took of Graham Hill, who was going around a corner, and there are three laps of him going around a corner, and um, he's sideways every time. And the reason he's sideways every time is that morning, the, uh, the photographer, Michael T., uh, had said, um, you know, racing was better back 10 years ago because the cars were sideways. And, you know, and so Graham said, which corner you're at for the next practice session? And he said, which one? And so he just threw it into power slide every time he went round and it looked better. But forever people have said better back in the day, you know, and um, I, I, you know, I, I love motor racing in the 70s and the 60s and, and the 80s. Um, but I'm still, I'm itching to watch the first Grand Prix and the first time we see cars move again this season. Sure. Sure. And then, uh, the, the other one yet, yeah, the, the fourth one, of course, is Formula One car by car, 1980 through 89. And that's, uh, where, where you really see the dominance of, uh, McLaren Williams. And, uh, and I, we, you know, we, we mentioned this, uh, uh, a couple weeks ago with uh, Nicky Lauda's comeback in 1984 and the domina- domination of Alain Prost and then and then later in the decade with Ayrton Senna who of course the anniversary of his death was yesterday and uh, and just and then of course one of my favorite cars of all time is Alan Jones the FWO70 uh, Williams car which I just thought had the prettiest lines on it and uh, walk us through uh, that that decade please well it um, just a special time. I mean, the the drivers. Uh, you obviously have Senna versus Prost, which is one of the great rivalries in in Formula One history, and something that I think really turned a lot of people onto the sport because it was yin and yang. It was you know good versus evil type. You know that's how it was sold. But not only did you have Prost and and Senna, you had. Nigel Mansell and Nelson Piquet and Gerhard Berger and it just seemed like one of the absolute top times for driving talent and then on top of that you have the turbocharged um, Grand Prix cars which the 1.5 turbos were the most powerful cars of all time Um, uh, so spectacular you know Keke Rosberg qualifying on pole position at over 160 miles an hour at, um, at Silverstone apparently with a slow puncher you know that this is the time of heroes um so a really great era and for me um i i i left university in in uh, 1982 and i i I took a year out um before i went and tried to find a job and um satisfy my dad that i would make some money um by going around the, the formula one circuit um in 1982 and you know it was just 
it, it was a unique time in my life and and you know it was a a difficult season because Gilles Villeneuve died that year that Riccardo Paletti died at the Canadian Grand Prix so and there was a lot of controversy and a lot of um politics going on but you know that for me is a very special time yeah certainly and that was kind of my um period I, I really enjoyed because you know obviously media was a lot different for me being in high school I loved reading uh, Innes Ireland's and Rob Walker's uh, Grand Prix re- uh, weekend reports and road and track back in the day and they really put you they were really were able to, to, to take you to that event and I really bonded with Formula One that year in 1982 and really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was really cool. Uh, unfortunately, Gilles Villeneuve was one of my favorite drivers as a kid. And yeah, it was certainly tragic in 82 and Paletti too and, and up in Canada that year. But it was a fascinating, a uh, lot, of, lot of things happening with uh, with the politics of Formula One that year too. And uh, certainly enjoyed it. Peter, uh, we're talking about Peter Hyam. Uh, from Avril Publishing and his fantastic series of books here, Formula One. It takes you through 1950 through the 80s. Uh, highly recommend it. And what, what, what's the easiest way to order these books, Peter? Uh, I think through I think through Avril Publishing's um, website, obviously Amazon and, and the you know all uh, normal normal uh, outlets. But um, yeah, direct to AvrilPublishing.com or or through through Amazon, I would guess. Evro, it's at E-V-R-O, publishing.com, and a really neat site. Uh, they have a full line of uh, uh, racing-themed books there. Of course, our own David Hobbs, who's on the show here, his book Hobbles is through them, and also Brian Redman, and, of course, your series, too, which I highly recommend. Really, really neat book, and uh, the the, the uh, f- photographs in there, too, in full color are just absolutely stunning. And, Peter, we certainly appreciate you taking time out today. No worries. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.